waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their souls melt. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that the, sea, the waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people. Praise him in the company of the elders. And the Lord bless this good reading to our understanding. We have a sermon outlined in the bulletin uh, with some verses highlighted there uh, that will nicely summarize our lesson today. But the, the, the title of the sermon is God's Traps and Releases. When we think of a trapper, he sets traps and then um, he catches fur, usually fur-bearing animals. And as he catches them, then uh, he does not release them, but he, he uh, harvests them, as it were, for whatever purpose that he has. But in God's case, God traps us, as it were, when we misbehave, when we flee from him. He traps us, but then he very kindly releases us uh, after we cry out to him. Now this pattern is repeated again and again and again in this psalm. One of the things that it teaches us is that in this life, that the, this life is not of a, of a short episode where we find uh, an instant uh, release or a final release when we're 12 years old or 14 or, or 17 or 18 or 20 or 25 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60. Our, our release comes in our deaths. But beyond that, we see in life the repetitive waves of humanity rising and falling based upon a, 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 a clear rise in sanctification or a clarity of spirit whereby we really enjoy the Lord or we're disdaining and running from Him. And as we see this happen to Israel in the Old Testament, it shouldn't surprise us that that happens to us in our lives, in this world. Uh, while the Bible says our life is short, and I really appreciate that being an older person, I'm looking back, it seems like I just began this, this walk of mine a few years ago. And yet I see now that it has, has endured a long time. But over that time, I've seen in my own life the ebbs and the flows of God's Spirit. And my own energy toward him. When we come to this passage, though, it teaches us what the default position should be in our lives. It, it teaches us how we were created. So this is the default position in terms of, of uh, what we are at our best, what we are before the fall, what we are without the ravages of sin chasing after us. And we see that from the refrain that, that begins the psalm, verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his mercy endures forever. This focuses on the fact that, that the, the most basic consideration 
most basic thought that we ought to have. What we what we can say is our basic the, the basic thing that we know or the basic thing that we ought to know in our lives is the goodness of God. You say, well, how many of all the thousands of things that I might learn or know? What is most basic? Most basic is the wonder and the goodness of God. Now, this is the refrain that goes throughout the song, uh, and it's from this default position, or this baseline, that we measure everything. How do we know when we're doing well spiritually? When we really rejoice in the goodness of God, when we have a sense of the goodness of God in our hearts. When do we know that we're kind of sickly and hesitant and not doing so well? When we're either not thinking about the goodness of God, in other words, it's kind of a non-entity to us, it's kind of a vague, just dark place, and then we're not really, our minds are not actively thinking about the goodness of God, or, in a worse position, we're contemning the Lord, or condemning the Lord, where we're unhappy with Him, where we find fault with the way that He and His providences have brought us in our lives to any one certain Place. At that point, when we are displeased with the Lord, it's the very opposite of having a very thankful heart and knowing of His goodness. It's the very opposite. We're contradicting this idea regarding the goodness of God. All that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness. As a chaplain in the hospital, Atrium Medical Center, uh, up the way. I hear this all the time with people when they are struck with illness. They wonder, they wonder, how could God have brought this to my life? How could God have brought me to the sickness? How could God have let my dear mother or my child die? And people are always ready to justify themselves as a race or as a species of people. They're always ready to justify that and and say that man is the default position, or that man is the baseline, so that any discomfort that comes upon man is uh, unsettling, and is the unnatural thing. God is just the opposite. He says, I am that place which is most blessed. I am that place which is most good. I am the place where you ought to be most thankful, because I am in your life. And so, um, this default position is repeated again and again in the psalm, verse 1, verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, verse 31, and then it closes. It doesn't close with that exact phrase, but it closes with whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand what? The loving kindness of the Lord. The loving kindness of the Lord. Now, do you think about this in your life? Is, is this something that you think about? Is this a... Uh, is this a ball unto you, or a solace, a comfort to you in your life? The loving kindness of the Lord. If it is, you'll be a very basically happy person. If it's not, you'll be a basically disturbed person, a restless person, an unhappy person. So make your peace with this idea, and it will be uh, very, very significant in your life. Now, we will argue that the only way to make your peace with this, the only way to really come to grips with this and be persuaded of this is to understand Jesus Christ. To understand how 
works of the Lord. Uh, the, the great theologian and uh, father uh, of biblical faith, Job, there's a whole book named after him. And when great evils fell upon him, there were so many things that he couldn't understand. There were so many things that he couldn't understand. His children had been killed. His wife had had been persecuted with with the things. He had been boils had come down upon him. All of his flocks had been stolen. He'd been dis, he'd been uh, uh, deprived of all the the great wealth that he once had. So all of these things were so uncomfortable for him and so agonizing for him. But as he looked upon this, he said, what does he say? The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. What? Blessed be the name of the Lord. So in the midst of his deprived state, he is utterly aware of the goodness of God. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. So this was the mindset of Job even at the death of his persecution judgment by God as God would uh, educate him further on the things of the spirit and on how fallen men are to understand him. Uh, so man's default position with God, his basic posture before the Lord, is to be aware of this happy thought. Um, we think if you if you evaluate our society today, you know, you ask yourself, are most people aware of God's goodness? I doubt you'll say that they are. It seems like most people are restless, most people are unhappy, most people are really not in love with God. And so there's something, there's a problem there. Now, the second uh, the second point of the sermon is that, that uh, in this psalm, it shows how there is a, a repent, 
existence at the very beginning of our lives and as we try to organize our lives uh, he says we we ought to worship him as our as the great end of our lives what do what do men say they say well no man man is the this is in the renaissance the one of the codes of the renaissance man is the measure of all things in other words what man thinks what man wants what man desires what, how, how in the way that we regard man's happiness that is most important now this is nothing but a despising of the counsel of the lord because the lord says i am god you are the creation but we say i am god you are unjust in the way you treat me oh god that's a very good illustration of despising the lord of rebelling against him again we see this in verse 17 it says, fools, because of their transgression, because of their iniquities, were afflicted. So they were made sore because they were fools. A fool, the Bible says, says in his heart there is no God. A fool wants to live without God. A fool wants to live independently of God. A fool wants to pretend that he is God. And he's able to sustain himself. Well, this is the principle that our public school systems are dedicated to. They don't mention the Lord. They don't have the Lord written anywhere in the school. They don't. They don't call the children to worship the Lord. Why? Because they're trying to educate the children that they don't need the Lord. Homeschools and Christian schools. We lift up the name of the Lord. We want our children to know. We don't want them to be fools. We don't want them to be misguided, wandering. But in the world. They resist this. They are fools because of their transgression. Because of their iniquities, they were afflicted. And so, uh, again, we see this in verse um, verse 26. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. Uh, so, mankind has rebelled against God. Uh, verse 34. A fruitful land that God turns a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. So God's aware of, of our, our love of him or our wickedness either way. It, 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 it turns on what, what, how we find the Lord and how we treat him. So a man's default position is to love the Lord, but his repetitive descent or turning is from God. And so God gives them, thirdly, God gives man over to sufferings because of this. God, because just because God is powerful and mighty, he will not let us live in this kind of rebellious state against him, despising him. He just won't, he won't accept it. And he's powerful enough to work out his displeasure upon us. And so again, we see in, in five different verses here, verse 5, first of all, uh, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Verse 14, uh, then they went down to the Lord in their trouble. So they were having trouble. Verse 17d, uh, and because of their iniquities, they were afflicted. 
make sure that the junk isn't all over the yard. So the, the house begins to look squalid, uh, foul, wretched, filthy. And so we can see that this is often used to describe homes or, or places where people live. But it also can describe the life of these people, the life of us, the life of human beings. And that's what we see here in this passage, because the, the, um, the repeated descent of mankind has led to re repetitive suffering. And some of the verses here describe this uh, so well. In verse 5, it says, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Verse 12, therefore he brought down their heart with labor. In other words, with, uh, with trial and turmoil and weariness. They fell down and there, was, there were none to help. Uh, verse 18, uh, their soul abhorred all manner of food. Uh, it points to that time in the wilderness when the Israelites got tired of the manna. And uh, it was repetitive, it was good, but it was just repetitive in their hearts. They desired, it was like God was giving them uh, an Irish cuisine, and they desired Italian, or they desired Greek, or some, some other cuisine, and they just got so tired of what they were eating that they, they, they turned to the Lord. They, they, they made this a complaint of theirs. They cried, the Bible says they cried out for meat in an ungodly way. And so God rained judgment upon them. Their, their soul, verse 18 says, their soul abhorred all manner of food. And they drew near to the gates of death. Verse 27, it says, uh, they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. We often use this picture as a point of comedy. There are comedians who have made their whole shtick, their whole act, uh, acting like a drunken person, a drunken man. And uh, because they, when they just kind of wander around and they, they can't keep their feet and they're, they're just walking crooked like that, it's kind of funny because it's so unnatural. But God says that this is the way humankind became. And as I've looked at this epidemic upon us, the, the COVID epidemic, one of the things that I see is that the weariness of people and, and how, um, uh, how at their wit's end they appear to be. Like they just can't stand it anymore. They don't know what to do. They can't get out of it. They don't want to be persecuted. They don't like the pressure of that. They don't like the fact that people keep getting sick and people keep dying and they can't seem to escape from it. They can't find a land where there is no sickness. And so it is like a drunken person. They're, they're, they're under the weight of these things and they're just barely able to keep going in their lives. And we see this as a picture of our whole culture in a way. And not just ours, but around the world. One of the most amazing things about this is that people are suffering in Kenya and Thailand and the Philippines in the same way that they are here. Susan and I came here from Scotland and We've been amazed at how it seems like Scotland has suffered even more than we have over here in America by these depredations, uh, by our predations, by the Lord. And so uh, uh, this is a sad thing, but it happens, and it, it's, uh, it's just a, a, a weighty 
and um, it, it, uh, it reveals God's unhappiness with us. Now, this past week, I was talking to somebody in the hospital, and um, they had a book with them. I'll hold it up here. It's Don Miguel Ruiz, The Circle of Fire. I saw it. It's a colorful book. You know, it caught my eye. I said, to, I said, oh, you, you're reading this. What's that about? Oh, she said, this is the best book I have ever read. She said, I'm, I'm utterly enthralled with it. I'm, I, she said, I can't wait to read these other books. And she said, really, it's, it's the best book I've ever read. So I, um, you know, we have these, we have these instant purchase services these days with the, um, the internet. So I, I thought, well, I have to read, I have to read that book regardless of, of you know, whether I think I'll agree with it or not. Because if this is what, thousands of, these are very popular author, millions of his books are being read now. I didn't, I didn't know about them, but they're being read. So I got my book and um, uh, it says The Circle of Fire, um, Inspiration and Guided Meditations for Living in Love and Happiness. And I read the book jacket here. Um, it says, Today, the Day of the Lord. I thought, well, that sounds promising. Today is the day of the Lord when the divinity returns to me. <laughs> oh, when the divinity returns to me, divinity means uh, the, being like God, being in, in the sense of the nat- being, having the nature of God. When the divinity returns to me, when my living free will, I'm thinking, well, I don't have free will. I mean, I've got free will in one, in one sense, but it doesn't really work, you know. Uh, I mean, it, it works, but it, it works, but it always works badly. By choosing the wrong thing. So today is the day of the Lord when the divinity returns to me, when my, when living my free will and with all the power of my spirit. I'm thinking, I don't have a whole lot of power in my spirit. What's going on here? I I decide to live my life in free communion with God with no expectation. Well, if I can decide to live my whole life in free communion with God all by myself, what does this teach me that I, I know is wrong immediately? I, there's no need for Jesus Christ. If I can do this, if I can be in free communion with God, all by myself, by my own power, why do I need Jesus? Well, I don't. But you see, I know because of my because of my reading the Bible for 70, 60 years now or whatever, I know that I do need Jesus. So when I have somebody coming to me in a book and saying, you can discover the deity within you, you know, this sort of thing. Um, he says, I will live my life with gratitude, love, loyalty, and justice, beginning with myself and continuing with my brothers and sisters. I will respect all creation as the symbol of my love communion with the one who created me to eat the eternal happiness of humanity. <laughs> oh, my. This guy is a, uh, on the back, it gives a little bio, Don Miguel Ruiz was born in of healers and raised in rural 
near-death experience changed his life. He he woke suddenly, having fallen asleep at the wheel of his car. At that instant, the car crashed into a wall of concrete. (laughs) That was his his awakening. He began to rethink things at that stage. And that led him, see, to go back to to his... um, is uh, the child the wisdom of his family's uh, rural uh, pagan spirituality? Um, hmm. He says on the back in my teachings, the circle of fire ceremony celebrates the most important day of our lives, the day when we merge with the fire of our spirit and return to our own divinity. <laughs> this. This is the day when we recover the awareness of what we really are and make the choice to live in communion with that force of creation we call life or God. Well, it's a creed. <laughs> and this, this book evidently typifies what I'm, what I'm preaching about this morning. What the, the mankind, if he turns from the goodness of God and, uh, and talks about all these things. Now, one of the ways that this stuff works is that God created us to be really special creatures. God created us to be totally in, in one with Him, in the sense that we are that where our spirits are friendly and open and loving to Him. And and, and if we if we are reflecting God and God, and we're reaching out for God and we're happy with Him, as Psalm 107 says. Well, then we do feel a, a oneness with. The creation, and we feel the oneness with God, but we know in our hearts that it's not because we have turned into little d- divine things. We have not turned into little gods ourselves, but it's because we're enjoying the one God who has created the world. Um, but evidently, the world <clears throat> flocks to buy books like this and turns from reading books like this to the Bible. So, despite this, though, the fourth heading of our outline is that God repeatedly delivers his people from these chapters of stupidity and desolation in their lives. Verse 6, verse 13, verse 19, verse 28, verse 35, God uh, turns and calls people back to himself. Verse 20, it says, he sent his word and healed them. He delivered them from their destructions. And as we look at Old Testament Israel, we see that God did this again and again and again. When Jesus Christ came into the world, it was a time of a special cultural weariness with the world and a special weariness in Israel with their sense of well-being. But there were some people who still clung to the eternal truths of the Lord that were in the scrolls that they had. People like Mary and Joseph, people like Elizabeth and Zechariah, who were not dead in their sins, in the sense that they knew nothing about God. And so God used these people. God sent his spirit. He impregnated Mary, the mother of Jesus, with him amazing way, really an outlandish way, a, a, a unique way that has never been seen before or since. And there was born in the world this man named Jesus, who, as he grew into adulthood, eventually did save his people from their sins. And so God repeatedly uh, makes this 
makes these deliverances, and he does that in our lives too, as we live as Christians. And, and the obvious lesson of all this is in the, the very last verse, it brings us back to where we started. Whoever is wise will observe these things. They will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean that we can understand all this fantastically. Uh, I, I continually wonder, why, why does God take the time? Why, why is God's drama of life so drawn out as it is? Why does, why does he not just thump us on the head instantaneously and <clears throat> drive us to our senses? And why, why does his deliverance have to come more than once? But whatever his wisdom in this is, we will know that when we go to heaven. And in heaven we'll look back and all of this will be a wonderful tapestry. And we will see the sense of it. We will see how it all makes complete sense and how God, using this method, has brought us out or developed us to be the best possible creatures that we will be. And we will be that way for all eternity. Happy in him, and yet mindful of the waywardness and the abject misery that we have without him in this life without him. God is good. Let us learn that. Let us meditate upon it. Let us, let us hold to it with an intensity. Let us not let go. Let us see the, the crystallization of this in Jesus Christ as we hold on to him and enjoy his salvation forever. Our Father and our God, we pray that thou wouldst bless us with this as a revelation, as a prophecy that might clash in upon us and crash in upon us and drive us to our knees and then drive us to sing a song of praise unto thee. Help us, O oh God, to enjoy thee. Help us to see how lovely thou art. There is nothing dark in thee. Thou art like the, the city of Ezekiel, uh, whose streets were gold, uh, where jewels were in the streets, and where the, per the, the city was perfectly square. All of the angles of the Lord are perfect in and of themselves. God is good and marvelous. He is the epitome what we might know and what we might love. We pray, O oh Lord, that we might love thee in this way, that we might see thy excellencies, that we might rejoice in thee, that thou wouldst be our great love, that we would never turn from thee or demur from our enjoyment of thee. We pray this in Christ's